First of all, let us our express our joy that you have all come here in this way, meaning that you have come here looking for Dhamma. The fact that you have come here demonstrates that you still feel there is some lack of Dhamma in your lives. And so we express our joy that you have come here with this very important objective. So the first thing for us to talk about is that which will help you to understand Dhamma. So our first topic today is an introduction to Dhamma. The purpose of Dhamma has two aspects. The most important aspect is to prevent the occurrence of dukkha, of suffering, of mental pain and disease. The second aspect of the purpose of Dhamma is to get rid of any dukkha that does arise. If any suffering happens, then to overcome it, to get rid of it. So these are the, this is the purpose of Dhamma. But be clear that the first one is the most important. Now, Dhamma has been associated with what is called religion. And in the minds of most people, the two are all mixed up. And this often leads to quite a bit of confusion and turmoil. Dhamma is Dhamma. And religion is a somewhat different thing. But off the two are associated. But then we go and tend to mix them up. Dhamma is just the truth of nature, the way things are naturally in this world. Religion is not the Dhamma itself, but religion is teachings about the Dhamma. We should understand this distinction. It will save us a lot of trouble. So Dhamma is the natural truth, and religion are the teachings about this natural truth. Please don't confuse these or mix them up. Religion is something that is everywhere. Wherever you go in the world, you can find religion. However, Dhamma is understood in only a few places. This is one of the differences between Dhamma and religion. However, things are improving. People, more people, are understanding Dhamma. And so this, this is good. Please do your best to, to keep, distinguish the two, Dhamma and religion. Dhamma is the thing that will solve problems. 
Dhamma is that which will end the problem of, of suffering. Religion is just the teachings about this Dhamma which will end all problems. So this is the difference. You most of all, of course, need to be interested in Dhamma itself. If instead we're interested just in religion, it may distract us from the actual Dhamma, which is what will solve our problems. Let's now take a look at religion, the teachings about the Dhamma, the natural, the natural truth. Each religion begins with a founder, a great person who has had profound insight into reality. And then from the different founders arise different religions. There are two basic kinds of religion in the world. We can distinguish them in two basic ways. One are the religions of relying upon oneself. And second is relying on others. So relying on oneself is one way Relying on the others is the other, the other type of religion. This has to do with how the founders saw things in the time and place where they lived and taught. They looked at people then and there and saw what was appropriate for them. And so some taught in the way of relying upon oneself while others taught relying on others. This depended on the needs and background of the people in each time and place. And so in this way we've got two, we've now have in the world two basic kinds of religion. The religion of relying on oneself and the religions of relying on others. From childhood, we live in this world depending on others, relying upon others. From childhood up until adulthood, we're constantly relying upon others. And so it's, so a religion of depending on others is something that's very familiar with most people. It's easy for the majority of people to accept because they already have an inclination in this way and they see it as being positive. The other form of religion of depending on oneself, this seems to the ordinary person as being negative and so they may not be so in favor of it. And it's much harder for the average person to follow the religion of depending on oneself. In fact, however, it's very important that you be most careful and take a good look and see which kind of religion is appropriate for you yourself. Now, when it comes to Buddhism, a fundamental principle of Buddhism is relying upon oneself. This is 
most basic and absolute in Buddhism that one must depend on oneself. So in coming here you should be aware of this in advance that you'll be hearing about the Dhamma which is for relying upon oneself, for helping oneself rather than asking others to help us. Further, some th another thing to consider is the matter of belief. Buddhism is also very clear on the point that one is not to believe others. In Buddhism there is no need for faith in others, whether in our friends or teachers or books or gods or whatever. Buddhism teaches that one must have faith in oneself. That is the only true thing to believe is what one sees for oneself, to see the causes and results of things clearly for oneself. That is where we put our faith in Buddhism. This makes Buddhism perfectly democratic because in Buddhism we don't even have to believe the Buddha. Instead, we believe what we see for ourselves through our own insight and understanding. So in Buddhism, there's no believing in others. There's no relying in, in others. We rely upon ourselves, help ourselves, and believe in ourselves. This then leads to two kinds of God or two kinds of gods in religion. The religions of relying upon others naturally have a God that is a person, that is conceived as in personal terms, someone who we pray to and worship and beg to or plead to please help us. This is one sort of God. The other kind of religion of relying upon oneself has a different God, a God which is not a person, a non-personal God. This God of the religions of self-reliance is in fact not, so, is not a person, it's a law. When we hear the word God, we think of the Thai word goat which means law. And this in Buddhism is God, the fundamental and absolute universal law of nature, the absolute truth of, of nature, of reality. This is the God of Buddhism. So we should learn to tell the difference between the personal God who we pray to and ask for help from and the God of Buddhism, which is the fundamental law of nature. And so this leads to two kinds of prayer. Each kind of religion has its own characteristic form of prayer. The religion that relies upon others and has a God, a personal God, 
In this, the form of prayer is to ask for help. Please help me, please help me. The other form of religion also has prayer, but it's a different form of prayer. In the religion of relying upon oneself, then the prayer takes the form of, of effort, of trying to do one's best, always striving to do one's best, to become better, to understand things for oneself, to help oneself. This is how prayer is in the religion that has no personal God, but has a God which is the law of nature. So when you come here and join this course, what you're doing is coming to learn about the prayer, the form of prayer for worshiping or for praying to the impersonal God, the law of nature which is no person or individual. So we come here then to learn how to pray in this way. This will require that you pay careful attention, that you try to the best of your abilities to understand and put into practice the things you will be hearing about praying to the impersonal God. So please listen carefully as we continue and talk about meditation and related subjects. In Buddhism, there is no dogmatic system. If it is presented in this way, then it is presented improperly. In Buddhism, rather, there is just the call to study nature, to pointing to nature and encouraging us to investigate it in order to see the truth of nature for ourselves. In Buddhism, this is discussed in terms of what we call dependent origination, which is the explanation of how dukkha, how inner suffering arises. In Buddhism, then, we are asked to investigate the, the reality of nature, of nature which we are a part. And then through seeing, to look deeply into reality, then through looking, seeing it, once we have seen what is happening, then we practice accordingly. This is how it is in Buddhism. So Buddhism is a religion where belief comes after wisdom. Wisdom is the understanding that comes when we see things directly for ourselves. There are other religions in which faith or belief comes before understanding. But in Buddhism, one is asked to believe only in what one sees and knows directly for oneself. So this means that here, our way of practice 
begins with learning about the law of nature. We learn about, we study the law of nature in order to understand how things work in this natural world of ours. This is, this is the first thing. Then we practice. Practice is not to learn so much as learn through hearing or even thinking, but practice is to learn by doing and experiencing for oneself. Here the first aspect of learning about the law of nature we do by studying the law of dependent origination, which we will discuss further. Once there is enough understanding of this law of nature, then we are able to practice. And so we will also talk about and investigate the practice of mindfulness with breathing. The law of nature, studying the law of nature, enables us to understand how things work in this world. Practicing mindfulness with breathing will develop the mind so that the mind is able to practice according to the law of nature. We may understand the law, but not have the ability to follow it. And so we must train the mind with mindfulness with breathing in order to practice and live according to the law of nature so that we live without any inner suffering, without any mental pain. The law of nature, which we call Paticca Samuppada, or dependent origination, this is the heart and essence of Buddhism. This is absolutely crucial and vital in Buddhism to the point that the Buddha said, whoever sees Paticca Samuppada sees me. Whoever sees me sees the law of dependent origination. Anyone who doesn't see this law of dependent origination doesn't see me, doesn't see the Buddha, and has nothing to do with the Buddha. So to have any clue of what the Buddha is, one must see the law of dependent origination. This is how important it is in Buddhism. The fact that all of us have problems in our lives, the fact that we have suffering, pain, and all kinds of little internal conflicts and tensions and turmoils. This shows that we do not understand dependent origination. All of these forms of dukkha happen to us because we lack the understanding of dependent origination. When we don't understand the law of nature, then there's no way that we can live correctly. We don't live in harmony with nature and its law. And this discord or lack of harmony 
leads to all forms of suffering, of inner pain. So it's important to give, to summon our abilities and concentrate them as best as we can on a study of dependent origination that is thorough, clear, profound, so that we have some understanding then of how to live our lives without suffering. We have eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind. And these senses of ours are receiving, are experiencing objects in the world constantly. When we experience the objects of the world, if we don't, if we do so without adequate understanding of dependent origination, then it becomes suffering. We turn our experience into suffering and inner pain if we lack this necessary understanding of the law of nature. If, however, as we experience sights, sounds, smells, tastes, touches, and mental phenomena, as we experience, if we experience these things with sufficient understanding of dependent origination, then our experience will not become suffering. It will not be painful. So it's imperative to study this matter thoroughly so that we can live in this world and experience this world without suffering. The Buddha insisted he declared and insisted that happiness and suffering do not occur due to old karma, that is, actions in past lives. The Buddha insisted that the happiness and suffering of this life is not dependent upon actions in past lives. Further, he insisted that happiness and suffering in this life is not determined by Isvara. Isvara has the meaning of God. This was the word in the Buddha's time for God. The Buddha said that our happiness and suffering is not determined or created by God. Instead, he said, happiness and suffering here and now in this life occur depending on whether we act correctly or incorrectly regarding the law of nature. This is, only this determines whether there is happiness or suffering in our lives. When all happiness and suffering in this life depends on how we act in terms of this law of nature, the law of dependent origination, then we had better do our best to understand this. Please don't think that it's just something to play with, that it's something for intellectual games or for argument or so on. 
Or please don't think that it's dry and boring or anything like that. Instead, please come to appreciate, look at it and see its importance in our lives so that you are all able to study it adequately, so that you are equipped with an understanding of the law of nature that will enable you to live rightly in harmony with this law. This law of dependent origination, it's the heart of Buddhism. It's understanding this is necessary to understand Buddhism. And further, it's the heart of the law of nature or of Dhamma. This law of dependent origination is the, the essence of Dhamma. And so it, it is worthy of all the attention we can, and investigative powers that we can bring to it. We should tell you in advance the, the essential meaning of dependent origination so that you have a chance to begin understanding it right away. The essence of Paticca Samupada is that we have eyes and in the world there are visual objects. When the eye and a visual object, a sight, interact, there will arise eye consciousness, which is consciousness of the object depending upon the eye, the sense organ of the eye. These three things together, the eye, the object, and the eye consciousness are called contact, or in this case, eye contact. The same thing happens for the ears, the nose, the tongue, the body, and the mind sense organ. At this moment of contact, when the I, the object, and consciousness work together, this is where we need our understanding of dependent origination. If we understand dependent origination at this moment of contact, where we in the world meet and interact, this will happen without suffering. The experience will not be a problem. However, if we lack this understanding of dependent origination, there will arise an ignorant feeling towards this contact. We'll feel about it in an ignorant way. This will lead to foolish, blind desire. This desire will then be the basis for attachment, which is deluded thinking that ends up thinking, I am, I exist, this is mine. When there is this existence of the ego, of the self, then it grabs onto things in the world and takes them to be mine. And in this way, life is turned into suffering. This is what will happen if we experience things, if contact occurs without an adequate understanding of dependent origination.
Now, even if we understand this law of nature, we, na- we may not always be able to practice according to it. Although we have the understanding, we may not have the ability to, to stop the flow of dependent origination, and so then our suffering will still arise. For this reason, then, we need a way of practice to develop the ability to practice according to this understanding. We need a way of practice that relates to the body, that enables us to understand and master the body, to understand and govern the feelings of pleasure, displeasure, and in-between feelings which arise towards our experiences. We need to be, to understand and master the mind, which is that which leads or orders the body. And then we need to understand the facts of nature, which are related to the body and mind. Anapanasati, or mindfulness with breathing, is a way of practice which will lead to developing these abilities regarding the body, feelings, mind, and natural facts, so that we then have the ability to practice correctly in line with the law of dependent origination. So then we we will match understanding with ability and can therefore live without suffering. So we would like to stress to you again that although you may understand dependent origination, if you can't control your mind, then you won't be able to practice correctly. You won't be able to put this understanding into effect, or at least you can only do so partially. So it's very important to practice until you can master the mind so that then not only will there be the understanding, but we can put that understanding into practice perfectly, completely, when we can control the mind. So please do your best to practice in able to control the mind, to order and discipline the mind. So that, and only then, will we be able to put our understanding of dependent origination into practice fully. Please be most interested in this practice. To explain in brief what mindfulness with breathing is about, the first thing that we need to know about and master is the body. We need to be able to master these bodies so that they are fit and appropriate for our practicing according to the law of nature. However, it's not possible to control the body directly. So what we do is we learn to use the breathing to master the body. The body is dependent upon the breathing. 
And so the breathing can be used to govern and regulate these bodies. In order to have bodies that are fit and ready for further development and practice. This means a body which is calm and cool. This is the body that is appropriate to be a foundation for a mind that is calm, cool, and able to understand on a deeper level. The second thing are the feelings. This world of ours is full of feeling. The world is full of things which cause feelings for us or which are the source of feelings. Without feeling, it would be as if the world didn't exist for us. Now, feelings are crucial because everything in the world is experienced with feeling. Sometimes the feeling is pleasant, it feels good. Sometimes it's unpleasant or dissatisfying. And sometimes there are kind of middling sort of feeling which isn't quite pleasant, but it's not quite unpleasant. These kinds of feelings can be very powerful. If we don't understand them, then they will lead to all kinds of thoughts, and these thoughts will tend to be foolish if not downright stupid. And these stupid thoughts can get us into all sorts of problems. So first of all, we need to understand the feelings, what they are, how they occur, and what influence they have upon the mind. But again, understanding them is not enough. We need also to be able to control them. We must train the ability to master the feelings. This means to, when certain feelings arise, to not think in certain ways, in certain harmful ways, to train the mind to be able to think in beneficial ways, no matter what the feelings, or to not think at all. To train the mind in this way then, to have an understanding of and then to develop the ability to control the feelings will prevent the feelings from causing us any problems. When we can do this, it's to have mastery over the world. To master the feelings is to master the world because all things in the world can enslave us due to the feelings that come with things. This is the second part of our practice of meditation. The third thing to, to work with is the mind. So here we, we study the mind until we understand it in all its aspects and conditions. We study this mind until we have a thorough and subtle knowledge of all the forms and shapes the mind can take. Once there is this understanding, then we train the ability to master the mind. We learn to make the mind, to put the mind in whatever state or condition we wish. We can train the mind to be delighted 
to be glad and joyful no matter what the situation, to immediately make the mind joyful. This is one way of training it. Another way is to make the mind firm, to collect it so that it is absolutely stable and unshakable. This is another way of training the mind. And further, we train the mind to let go. We train it so that it is free of all things, so that it isn't enslaved or attached to anything. So we have, we study the mind to understand it, and then we train it in order to master it in these ways. This is the third aspect of practicing mindfulness with breathing. When we speak about the firm, stable mind, there's a special meaning here which you need to understand. This firm mind has three aspects or qualities. The first is that it's perfectly clean. It's pure. There's nothing dirtying it or messing it up in the least. Then its energy is gathered together, collected, and focused into a single point. And then this mind is perfectly active. It's perfectly ready to do whatever needs to be done. It's the mind that's absolutely ready to perform its, its duty. These three qualities of cleanliness, of being focused onto a single point, and of active readiness are the qualities of the firm, stable mind. Now, although this is something most important, you probably won't be able to train this ability within a mere 10 days. So please use this opportunity to get the information you need about how to practice. Please use this opportunity to develop an understanding of how to practice so that even after the 10 days are over, you can continue practicing until one day you are able to do this. Please don't get frustrated by judging yourself or having unrealistic expectations. In 10 days, it's probably not possible to be able to do this, but you can learn how and you can begin to practice doing so, so that when you leave in 10 days, you'll take with you an adequate understanding about how to train and control the mind. Please understand this properly so that you can avoid wasting your time with frustration, with judging yourself and other useless states of mind. The fourth, the fourth aspect of this practice has to do with Dhamma. Dhamma here means the law of nature or the law of the reality of nature. We call this Dhamma or Dharma. This is the thing that we must understand. However, it's not something that we can control. Rather, we control ourselves so that through understanding Dhamma, the law of nature, to control ourselves so that we act in harmony with it, so we behave correctly.
in line with the law of nature's reality. This is the fourth aspect of this kind of meditation. The law of nature is just how is like God or is like the way they talk about God, meaning we can't control this law of nature. Rather, it is something to be seen and understood. And then we use that understanding to control ourselves so that we act rightly towards this law of nature. So it's important for us to study carefully this law and to see it deeply as it works within us so that we start to act in line with this law. We can't control it, but we can be in harmony with it. We can act correctly as it dictates for us. This, if we, this law of nature, this reality of nature is to be seen as it is. This means seeing the constant change and impermanence of everything in the world. To see the quality of painfulness in all these changing things. And then to see the fact that all these painful impermanent things are not I and not mine. These facts of nature, these three facts, cause people to cry constantly. People are whining and moaning and crying because they don't see these truths and so their life is full of suffering to the degree that there are many people who've even gone and killed themselves because they have not understood the truth of life. However, if we understand these basic facts of impermanence, painfulness, and not I, not mine, then there's no need to cry, there's no need to suffer, and surely there's no need to kill ourselves. Understanding these truths of nature helps us to recover from our stupidity. When we don't see things as they are, this is a stupidity. But as we start to see and understand the facts of life, then we can overcome, we can recover from our foolishness. When we are not foolish, then we stop grasping at things in the world. We start stop clutching at them as ourselves and as our possessions. And so by replacing foolishness with wisdom, especially the understanding of impermanence, painfulness, and not self, not I, not mine, in this way we overcome our stupidity and then there we are above all suffering. Our minds are raised above any possibility of suffering again. For this we need to take ourselves as the lesson. You can't go learning this in someone else. We take ourselves at the le as the lesson. We need to look carefully that right now, what am I attaching to? What am I grasping at? Right now, what am I thinking of? To be aware 
as clearly as we can at this moment. What am I attaching to? And seeing that this attachment causes conflict and suffering. If we can study this within ourselves, we have the means to get free of future suffering. We need to look at this, though, only within ourselves. Please look and see most clearly that when we attach to anything, then we are the slave of that thing. We're like this day in and day out without any break or gap, constantly attaching and clinging to things. We cling to positive things in order to love them. We cling to negative things in order to hate them. And so constantly, day in and day out, we're creating suffering for ourselves. Look until you see this most clearly. Forgive us for saying so, but now the whole world is talking about a stupid kind of freedom. They're talking about freedom, but it's an upside-down freedom. They don't know about, and so they don't say anything about true freedom. When we love something, then we're the slave of it. When we hate something, then we're the slave of it. When we're angry at something, then we're its slave. When we're excited about something, then we're its slave. And so all the things that are involved in our lives, we become slaves to them in this way. And when we're slaves like this, from minute to minute, there is no genuine freedom. And finally, what is most ridiculous, excuse us for saying so, what is actually quite insane, is that we're the slave of ourselves. We're even slaves to ourselves. We attach to the self. And so there's no freedom left at all because of the insanity of clinging to self. There's not even the least bit of freedom remaining. When we are foolish regarding these things, then our life bites us. Our own lives chew on us and bite us because we're stupid about these things. We lack true freedom in our lives and there is way too much suffering in our lives because of our foolishness, because of our lack of wisdom regarding these things. In fact, it's worse than stupid. It's more than crazy. This being a slave to oneself, being enslaved to the self. This is more stupid, more crazy than we can put into words. So just go off and find out the best word for it on your own and see, see what it, how crazy and ridiculous this situation is. If one practices the fourth part of mindfulness with breathing, then one will be able to 
live, one will first understand this reality of nature. One will know the way things really are. And then one will be able to live in line with these truths. And then all of these problems will disappear. All of this stupidity and craziness will disappear and there will be genuine freedom. Let us add for those of you who are Christians or from a Christian background, please don't forget the one sentence in the Bible where God spoke directly to Adam and Eve. This one sentence is the only place in the Bible where God spoke directly to a human being. And in that, God warned them to not attach to the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He warned them, don't go in attaching to good and evil. If you do, you'll become their slaves, and then you will die. This one sentence in the very beginning of the Old Testament, this is not only the the most profound commandment of God, but it's also exactly the same as the heart of Buddhism. Those of you who are Christians or have any interest in Christianity, please don't ever overlook this most important sentence in the Christian Bible. If one is beyond the influence of good and evil, then one is beyond all influence of positive and negative also. And this means that we are thoroughly beyond the influence of anything. This means there's nothing that can enslave the mind. There's nothing anywhere that can have power over the mind. And then the mind is so above things that there's no word to describe it. The mind is above being above or beyond being above everything. To be above good and evil is to be above all the pairs of opposites. This means to be beyond all duality. All the, all the pairs such as to be beyond good and evil, to be beyond happiness and suffering, to be beyond heaven and hell, to be beyond right and wrong, to be beyond positive and negative, winning and losing, getting and losing, male and female, and on and on and on, all the dualisms that people believe in. In this way, the mind can be beyond them, can transcend them all. Most important is to be above, beyond the influence and power of the defilements. It's to be beyond the influence of time which causes us so many problems. To beyond all these preoccupations and obsessions is to be totally free, to have no more problems and to be utterly beyond all suffering.
please be most interested in this. Look at your own lives and you'll see that there isn't everything in your ordinary daily life that isn't either positive or negative to you. Everything in your lives either is positive or negative for you. And so this means that you're the slave of all these things. Look at your lives carefully and see how we still are unable to free ourselves from all these things that we take to be positive and negative. Anapanasati has four parts. The first is to know and be able to master the body. The second is to know and be able to master the feelings. The third is to know and master the mind. And fourth is to know, to understand, and be able to master the influence of the law of nature. You probably won't be able to finish this practice in just 10 days. But please do your best to understand it clearly, to know what needs to be done and how to do it, so that you can continue practicing after the 10 days and eventually be successful. So please, may you, all of you, consider these matters carefully so, and then have an appetite for studying these things carefully so that your, your whole day will be an intimate, subtle, sensitive, and profound study of, these, of this reality. Please have an appetite for this study, and then you will find success in, in it and in your lives. This word study in English is something that we don't exactly know what the meaning is. We, especially we don't know exactly how you understand the word study. This is used to translate a Thai word, siksa, or a Pali word, sikha. And we, this is a crucial word, and we would like for you to understand it in the way we mean it. For us, the word study or siksa has a very profound meaning. It means to look oneself, to see oneself, to know oneself for and by oneself, and then to practice oneself. This is very important. Study or siksa must include all of these. First, we look. We look and look and look within ourselves. It's not a matter of looking outside, it's looking within. Look, look, look within until we see. We look and see. And we keep seeing and seeing until this seeing becomes very firm and clear knowing. We see, we see, then we know, we know, and we know. And from this knowing there arises a commitment to practice. So there is this commitment that comes from understanding. And then we practice. 
according to what we have looked, seen, and understood within ourselves. This is study. Study or sitsa for us is not a matter of reading books. It's not even a matter of listening to talks like this. This is just preparation for study. The real study is the looking within, seeing within, understanding oneself by oneself, within oneself, and then practicing according to the truth that we have seen within ourselves. We, we hope that this understanding of the word study will be of value to you. Please observe that even the highest level of education in this world, even the best universities or institutes in this world, that none of them are complete in terms of these four aspects of study. None of them com include all four aspects. So they're all incomplete. So let us impress upon you the fact that if you are able to study with all four of these factors, if your study includes all four of these factors, then you will be able to understand dependent origination thoroughly and profoundly and, and completely. And you will be able to practice mindfulness with breathing in all its aspects successfully and in a way that is of great value and benefit to your lives. So may all of you who is come, have come here without any freedom, may you leave as people who are free. All of you who have come here as tourists, may you leave as pilgrims. So allow us to end today's talk. We thank you for being good listeners. We'll see you again here tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. <laughs>